0: I was just passing my book um, and noticed that this is the fifth, this is the fifth book of Dharma Talks. Um, it's a lot of Dharma Talks uh, over the years. I'm kind of impressed by, <laughs> by the fact that uh, there are five of these books, but um, it was pretty clear that I chose not to write about the Dharma uh, in a, any kind of professional way, publish anything, but instead to build uh, the Zendo. Um, and is kind of interesting because I've spent a lot of my academic life writing and publishing things, and people have asked me about um, doing some writing, writing a book. Um, And I realized that, no, this is about practice. And so instead of writing a book, I I built a zendo. So I'm glad to have you all here to engage in our practice together. It's much more important than reading about it in books. so we have been beginning our exploration of the precepts once again, and <clears throat> uh, in no particular order. And last week Max talked about intoxication, and that's one of the precepts um, to refrain. It's, it's formulated in in many ways, uh, and you'll. You'll discover that when you when you look around at at precepts, look it look, look it up online. You'll find lots of different formulations of each of these precepts, but the general idea is don't get intoxicated. Um, and Max talked about his involvement with chess as one of the examples of uh how how it's possible to become intoxicated and after considering his talk i felt it was necessary to go deeper it's part of part of our practice is to dig we, we thought we thought we had reached the bottom <laughs> when we when we found pay dirt, so to speak, dig deeper, go deeper. It's like sort of psychic gardening, those of us who I like to shovel. I like to dig, and I think that's a reflection of my 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 desire to really get to the bottom of things and not to be satisfied with just the top level mm-hmm. <laughs> of of topsoil, but there's stuff really going on underneath that that um, supports that. It's sort of like the lotus and the mud, that the lotus grows out out of the muck. And we're not just satisfied to look at the beauty of the lotus. We want to see where it comes from and how it's nurtured and how it develops. So I wanted to dig a little deeper Uh, about intoxication. And it occurred to me that what, was there anything inherently intoxicating about chess? Was that, was was it the game of chess itself that was inherently intoxicating the way, for example, a a substance like LSD is inherently intoxicating in some sense. It, it is designed to change your consciousness. Is there anything about chess that indicates that? And it didn't seem to me that there was anything. It's just like, what's inherently intoxicating about moving black and white pieces of wood? <laughs> ivory or whatever plastic from one square to another on a board and following a certain set of rules and there's nothing particularly intoxicating about that but what perhaps was intoxicating about it was the drive to win and as I considered this more and more deeply, I wondered whether it was possible to play chess, to engage in the game, without the desire to win, without the drive to win. And my answer to to myself was no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No. No. Any game we play, any game, poker, I happen to like poker, um, monopoly, <laughs> um, uh, ping-pong, you know, you name it. We play lots of games. And of course, video games are notorious. Uh, I mean, the drive there is, right, yeah. to win. And I suppose we can regard life, generally, as a kind of game uh, which is reflected in all the different games we play with one another. And underneath, is it possible to live that life? To live this interrelationship with one another? In a sort of game-like context without the desire to win. Whatever that meant, whatever that means, to win. And so I began considering what it was about winning that was so, that drove us so, so much that I mean, even I noticed training my puppy, I have to <laughs> win. <laughs> you know? um, I'm the boss. Um, and even in our game of tug, it's really hard for me to let her win, to let her grab that. So we, we took a walk yesterday and um, it was important, you know. We pulled the stick away from her, and we threw it, you know, and she had to catch it and bring it back. So, you know, we kind of established ourselves as, you know, we're on we're on top of this. And so, there is in in Zen practice what we call the eight worldly dharma win and lose, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, fame and obscurity, being recognized and being neglected (laughs) or ignored. These are worldly dharmas that govern our lives, and they all have to do with, in some sense, winning. I mean, most of us are connected with Penn State University. Number one, uh-huh. right? we're number one. It's, it's a deep cultural drive to win, to win, to be on top. Bless you. Uh-huh. And what is, what is it about winning that we crave. What is it about winning that is intoxicating to us? And the word I come up with and by the way in the reminder this week the image that I posted was the image of a crown. Did you did you notice that? Did you associate anything with with that. Um, It's power. It's a drive for power. Personal power, social power, psychological power, political power. It's that feeling of power that is fundamentally intoxicating, just feeling. Um uh Tyshin sent me some clips from The Highlander, which I had never the film The Highlander, and we had talked in our book study about this idea of quickening, and certainly power was part of that. That word of quickening of the life force that is coming through you, that is so powerful and intoxicating, it takes over. And especially, you know, those of us who have had the so-called joy of being pregnant. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <whoa. laughs> you know, I when I was pregnant, I really felt powerful. It's carrying this life in me. Um, and you know, I was kind of doubly powerful, and and it was obvious that you know I was I was a powerful woman. <laughs> um, afterwards, it wasn't so powerful. <laughs> um, so I've I've been exploring this the place of power. In our lives and our drive for it, our need for it, our hunger for it and how, how it can become so intoxicating that we behave poorly. And I looked at the precepts and by the way The power is attached to the ego, the constructed self. This is where the power resides. And what we are engaged with, a good part of our lives, is empowering this ego, this self to nourish it, to make it feel strong, to give it life, to give it force, to give it dominance, to win in all sorts of obvious and also not so obvious ways, like with the puppy. I'm just playing with it, but (laughs) you catch this, I'm not going to run after it very subtle ways, both in in our individual relationships um, with our friends, with our lovers, with our parents. Parents are a big one. Establishing our power as a child um, growing up, um, which was, is really important for our ego development. So I lo- was looking at the precepts once again, and noticing that in each aspect of behavior that is not skillful, which is what the precepts are about, there is an element of power. For example, stealing give you an example in our Julian Woods community we have a a green two greenhouses evapotranspiration transpiration greenhouses and in in those greenhouses one of our community members uh, grows flowers actually those flowers are a gift from her uh, and she she sells flowers uh, for weddings and Such and did the farmers market with flowers and one Saturday, late Saturday, I usually try to do a flower arrangement for them. And I was really rushed. Um, I I hadn't managed to put an arrangement together, and I was walking by the greenhouse, and I thought take some flowers. There <laughs> are <laughs> you know, lots of flowers in there. You know, it's a community greenhouse. You know, I started making all these you know, what she's not going to miss a couple of flowers. Um, but what was really happening was that I was beginning to feel really energized <laughs> with the prospect of sealing those flowers. Yeah, I can do this. Uh, yeah, I can, I can. I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna go in there and take some flowers, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna feel really strong. I'm just gonna go go in there, and take the flowers, and go out. And and I've I began feeling this rush of adrenaline of Uh, Excitement? (laughs) Excitement. Can I really do this? Yeah, I can do this. And I did. I went into the greenhouse and I started and I was feeling so amazing. It was like a high. I was really excited about getting away with this. and My ego was, you know, incredible. Incredibly strong. And it so happened that she was in the greenhouse. <laughs> and she very politely came over to me and said, Hi. Okay. Um, and as soon as she said that, everything in me just completely deflated. It was, I just became a puddle of mud. <laughs> it was like, what was at once this incredibly powerful individual, suddenly it was like a pinprick in a balloon. She said, if you, if you had asked, I would have been happy to give you some flowers. But that wasn't what it was about. It was about my stealing them. I, I, yeah it came over me <laughs> it came, like an intoxicant it like i had no control i just wanted those flowers and was driven to get them so that was uh, that was an indication to me of how power and the desire for power influences these unskillful behaviors if you look at so that was stealing, which is one of the precepts. Lying. I put one over on you. I know something that you don't know. I've deceived you, and I'm in a power position. You've been duped. <laughs> You've believed something, and now I feel. I'm better than you because I was able to deceive you. Certainly sexual misconduct, infidelity, abuse. I'm dominating. I'm you know I can do what I want to do. I I can steal your integrity from you. Uh I can do things underhandedly and you not know know about it. Killing? (laughs) They destroy you. What kind of power is that? To have the power of life and death over something. Even something like praise and blame. Certainly blaming. Judging, I'm judging you, I'm better than you are. I hold you accountable. I'm the judge. I got that crown on. <laughs> you know, I'm the king, I'm the queen. <laughs> I sit in judgment of you both praise and blame because I'm the one who are, who gives the praise I'm the one who judge judges whether I blame you or praise you and then other precepts like anger attacking you you know fine. My venom. So I. So if you examine the precepts, I think you will find. And again, I'm sharing my own ruminations with you. This is nothing absolute about this. We're exploring these these things together. See what you make of it. So. Why is this drive for power so intoxicating? You know, why is why is this drive for power so intoxicating? Why? Why did you why were you so driven to steal those flowers? Because at the time I felt really helpless. I didn't know how I was gonna make an arrangement. So I, I just felt like I, I was at a loss. And most of the time I suspect that we grab for power when we feel helpless and vulnerable. And the fact of the matter is, I think, that that is our fundamental condition. (laughs) Helpless and vulnerable. And in, in Buddhist practice, sometimes we use the word empty. Not in the sense of being, Hollow or a void, but having no substantial self. And because of that feeling of being not this thing, we try to make this thing. We try to make something out of nothing. And we have to keep doing it because it's fundamentally going to our balloon is going to be burst constantly because that is our fundamental condition and so we have to keep blowing it up blowing it up and maybe we discover this and maybe we get tired of that and but maybe we don't maybe we just keep keep doing it and keep suffering because we have to keep making that balloon bigger or different colors or different shapes or you know find different ways of strengthening what we know is empty is is empty being in our practice in shikantaza We sit. This is the alternative form of power. This is real power. Because we are being exactly who we are basically helpless, (laughs) just sitting here, not trying. To do anything with respect to anyone else, not ambitious, not trying to prove anything, not trying to show ourselves to be anything more than just someone on a cushion. And notice, we sit with our backs to one another. I think, Sophia, you mentioned this. What an amazing expression of trust. Like, I don't have to see what you're doing. I, I'm, I'm sitting here vulnerable. <laughs> you know, I, ha- I have my back to you. Uh, I, I don't know what's coming. I don't know if anything is coming. So this act of just sitting down is a way of aligning ourselves with true power. It has nothing to do with achievement. It has nothing to do with showing you're better than anybody else, or that you're you know, that you that you can judge anybody else. Or I mean it's just all of that is gone. And we just become beings sitting here taking our place in the universe as our lineage holder Kobinchina roshi said the only and i think i mentioned this before the only real precept there's only one real precept and that precept is to make a safe place for someone to sleep it's all about trust and and cre- being a bodhisattva to create a way of being in which you are in service to others rather than having them be in service to you in some way. So to create a safe place, you, if you're intoxicated, if you're driven by power, you're not inclined to make a safe place for someone to be. You're too involved in your own power trip. And you're not inclined to go to a person who is intoxicated for help, right? But here is a safe place—not to sleep in the sense of to be to, to go into some la la land, but to trust, to be able to fall asleep, to to turn your back and, and know you're safe, know you can just be. So Alan Watts also has, I'm going to end with um, a, uh, an example that he gives, a sort of metaphor. The river of life keeps flowing and flowing, and life force keeps flowing and flowing all around us. Sometimes we are in our rowboat on this river, and we are paddling upstream. I'm going to make myself known. I know this very well because I had a powerful drive to achieve when I was young even even now that I haven't lost that it's like I'm just gonna get this get this done do it rise up like the phoenix you know which is our symbol which are which is our lineage symbol from the ashes oh just rise up and achieve status prestige money things what is all that? It's power. It's the power that we want to feel alive, quicken. We, we want to feel quickened all the time. So here we go. You know, we're in, we're in this life force. We're right in it. But some of us are just wanting to make our way, our way, <laughs> you know, not going this way, but going our way. <laughs> And what happens is that even though we think we're rowing in the opposite direction, the river is still carrying us, (laughs) whether we like it or not. This is the helplessness that I'm talking about. But if we turn around and instead of rowing, we're sailing, we're going with, with the wind, with the flow. Once say? go with the flow, you're going with the flow. Not, not only can you do a little bit of what's called in sailing, tacking with the wind, but you have the whole force of the river powering you. That's power. <laughs> it's not it's not mastery and control. It's letting go into the power that is already here, moving. And so you're 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 actually um, you're actually uh, using the power already, so far beyond anything you could create, anything you could achieve, which is the power of the life force all around us, including the human community. And this is our practice. We're just sitting here allowing ourselves to be held in the embrace of life not having to do anything, not having to achieve, just to feel alive and to feel together in this safe place. I guess that's why I built the Zenda. Happy I did. So please return your cushion.